Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Net Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 14. Episode 14 of 2021. And I'm going to do the readings for uh, Wednesday. Wednesday of uh, 2021. And we'll also do um, a report. We'll do some article. So, uh, let's begin with um, an act of contrition. And yes, please subscribe and share if you like my podcast and you think I'm doing a good job. So, let's begin. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. And therefore I ask Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, and all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us and forgive us all our sins and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kiri Elision. Kiri Elision. Kiri Elision. Christe Elision. Christe Elision. Christe Elision. Kiri Elision. Kiri Elision. Kiri Elision. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people, goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Have mercy on us. You alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ. With the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Okay, so uh, we're going to do the uh, readings uh, for Ordinary Time on Wednesday. It's continuing from the book of Hebrews, which is a very beautiful book and very, it's a very um, theological book. It's, uh, it's a book that reviews and goes over salvation history. It has a lot of typology in it. It has um, a lot of connections to it weeds together, ties together mystically the Old and New Testament. So let's begin. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right. Uh, first reading is from, again, Book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 14 to 18. And let me read you the outline here. He had to become like his brothers and sisters in every way that he might be merciful. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Since the children share in blood and flesh, Jesus likewise shared in them, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and free us, and free those, I'm sorry, and free those who through fear and death had been subject to slavery all their life. 
Surely he did not help angels, but rather the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every way, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest before God to expiate the sins of, uh, of the people, because he himself was tested through what he suffered. He is able to help those who are being tested. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's read it one more time. A reading from the letter of the Hebrews. Since the children share in blood and flesh, Jesus likewise shared in them, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who through fear of death and, f and free those who through fear of death have been subject to slavery all their life. Surely he did not help angels, but rather the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every way that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest before God to expiate the sins of the people because he himself was tested through what he suffered. He is able to help those who are being tested. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Okay, so let's go back and review what the Holy Spirit is saying to us here. Since the children share in blood and flesh. All right. It's obviously talking about humanity, us, the human race, who are partakers of the blood and flesh of Adam in the sense of Adam and Eve. Jesus likewise shared in them, and through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. What does this give you uh, the image of? Well, it has two images. One, yes, we fell because our ancestors got tricked. Our, our father and mother, Adam and Eve, fell for the, for the beguiling of the serpent. Okay, but it also gives you the image of the Exodus. The children of Israel went into Egypt because of a famine. I'm just almost done reading the book of Genesis in the Great Adventure Bible. Now, when you look at it, when you see what, what's happening here, Joseph, who was there, who was a type image of Jesus, had had control of the, uh, the granary, the food, the harvest, everything. He was in charge of the entire nation's food, pro, uh, food distribution program of Egypt. Pharaoh made him the most powerful man after him. And he was the source of, 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 of uh, salvation to his own people. His own brethren came and they didn't recognize him. It's a sort of like a resurrection typology. You know, he was <clears throat> their brother and they sold him. They betrayed him. Again, a typology, a type image foreshadowing the betrayal uh, of Jesus. And then you know, to, and they handed him over. They threw him in a pit and then they sold him. But through his, 
through his trials, he rose high and he became the most powerful man in all of Egypt. And he then, he was going to be, there was a seven years of good, a good harvest, seven being the number of covenant. And then there were seven years of trial. Okay. A nation is always going to go through this every seven years. You'll probably notice this, like what we've been going through for, for years. And it's because of our sins, because America's sins and because we, the whole world sins technically because of abortion and then uh, obsessed with sexuality and then obsessed with materialism. Uh, and and then suddenly we've gone through the whole 9-11 thing and then we went through a recession and then we went through a good years. We had we had some good years uh, under President Trump and now we're going to go through another trial. We've gone through the Wuhan virus and we're going through another one. We're paying for our sins, all right? The roost has finally come home and we're going to suffer for it. But we, 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 we are suffering through idolatry all of us, even our own church leaders, we are going through a trial here. Okay, our own church leaders don't preach and teach as they're supposed to. All right, they have adopted uh, a secular humanist form of Christianity, a Christianity devoid of supernatural, devoid of grace, devoid of salvation, devoid of truth. It's a counterfeit Christianity that they have adopted. It's still Catholicism. It's still the one true faith. Even though we may, some of us may disagree, some may be more traditionalist, and some may, you know, um, I I personally think that the readings we have is fantastic the way the way we have it every day because we have a lot of scripture, and I think it was something that was needed for the time that we live in that the Holy Spirit, but. The church got hijacked by sinful, evil men. And by and there are bad Catholics out there that have hijacked the faith that have kept that are we are in captivity. Make it no make no mistake about it. The church is under a serious captivity. Just like the Babylonian captivity, <clears throat> we are in a captivity. We are in a serious captivity. We are in serious, serious problem. The church is being held hostage, the church militant, and is being prevented from fulfilling its mission. <clears throat> I truly believe that with the Novus Ordo, if it was done properly, without throwing away any of the traditions of the of the Trinity Mass, you could have seen something uh, good. I, I think this is my own personal opinion. I'm a late comer to Catholicism. I'm a convert. But going back to the interpretation, he partake in our nature. The descendants of Abraham. Now, this is not talking about just the Jewish people by blood. Okay. Pharaoh in the book of Exodus is a type of picture of Satan. Of Satan. Okay? It's a type picture of Lucifer. Okay? Pharaoh who refused to let go. In a sense, 
that's exactly what we're, we're, we're going through. And this is not just, it's all of humanity, but also in many cases, he holds the hearts and minds of those who are very weak in their faith. The seed that has fallen in the thorns and thistles, it has choked it. And because the love, the materialism, the pleasures of this world, it doesn't have any deep root. So this is what we have here. This is what's going on. Um, and, you know, it says here, like, the devil... Um, okay, let me go back. Since the children share in blood and flesh, uh, flesh Jesus like likewise shared in them and through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil and free those who through fear of death have been subject to slavery all their life subject to slavery all their life but there are some who don't want to be free there are some who only see this world they don't see the possibility of another world okay there are a lot of people who don't believe that there is another world they only believe that this is this is the only world that counts, and they're going to be beguiled and tricked by false, by false religions, uh, by false teachings, and made to think that everything is just an allegory, it's just a symbolism, and they're going to believe in an evolving Christianity. Uh, this is like an uh, like an evolution, an evolving religion, and it's very dangerous. We got to be careful of that because. Human beings, if they think that this is all that there is, they will do very little to want to be holy. This is what a lot of people think. This is why a lot of people are into the globalism now. This is why a lot of people are into the environmentalism. And so therefore, if they think that this is all that there is, they're going to think to themselves that there's not enough room for everybody. Hence, abortion. Hence, euthanasia. Hence, population control. I mean, it's, there's no room for love your brother. It's going to be like love your brother to death, love your brother to extermination. That's all there is. And that's exactly why they will hold on to this world. And the idea, the concept that there could be another world, that what does that bring to your mind? That, that there could be that there is a possibility of a resurrection. There is a possibility of an afterlife. There is a possibility that this, this world will come to an end one day. That brings a possibility of, of bringing an account of yourself. That means that there is a God who is in charge and it will be judge and jury. And that they can't stand. Because if you put all your investments only in this world... That, will, that basically limits your possibility of being holy. It actually squeezes your possibility of holy out of it. And you will do everything you can to fight for this world and to make sure you control all the resources of this world. That's, you know, that's what happens. And then, you know, Surely he did not help angels, but rather the sons of Abraham. Well, the sons of Abraham, again, okay, you know, like there are some people who have a very bad doctrine, like the Jehovah Witnesses who believe that somehow Jesus is an angel. Jesus is not an angel. Jesus is God. 
And he's not a God, he's God. No, it wasn't for angels, which is why the devil hated it, because he fell because it wasn't for angels. The descendants of Abraham is not just Abraham in the flesh. It's Abraham in the faith. Remember, God promised Abraham through you, all the nations, all the families in the earth will be blessed. He made this promise to Isaac and he made this promise to Jacob. He promised them all the same thing, that the promise he made to Abraham, he made to Isaac and Jacob. Okay. Now, some people, I guess the problem is it's the love of this world. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers. It says brothers and sisters. This is the New American Bible, so it used a very inclusive approach. We can forgive him for this one. In every way that he might be merciful and faithful high priest before God to expiate the sins of the people. The sins of the people. Expiate. He is constantly making atonement for each soul and for every action human history is going through. Where an earthly high priest like Aaron or Caiaphas or any other high priest that came along of the sons of Aaron, they can't do it because at that time, even though they were actually making atonement for the sins of the world, it was limited and the high priest himself was limited to how holy the high priest can be. The high priest can only go in there for a short time. And when the high priest went in there, he went in there attached with a string to his ankle, just in case he got struck down for not, uh, for not repenting and not being absolutely honest about his sins. Yes, the high priest went in with a string attached to his ankle. And then they had to pull him out just in case he failed. He didn't. He didn't meet the. He didn't meet the holy remains, the requirements. Um, but Jesus was. Jesus was put to the test, and because he was put to the test, like through the Garden of Gethsemane, and even throughout his life, throughout his earthly life, before his public appearance, he was put to the test. And, and you know, and he suffered, but he did not have any sins. Sin could not, could not, could not grow in his heart. Could not find a place. The mold, the mold, and the 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 mucus, the the uh, mildew of sin could not grow in him. So he was able to help those who are being tested. We are constantly being tested, as, um, you know, in a sense, because we're suffering in this world. We're constantly being tested, and we have to. Uh, we have to do every, everything, everything we can to, to ask God to sanctify us, to make us holy. We need this. Without it, you know, I mean, if we give up, we can't give up. We have to keep praying. And we have to uh, face, do that we got days, we, we got years coming ahead of us that are going to be very difficult. Um, the events that we just witnessed that happened, uh, it's a turning point in American history. It's a turning point in the world. Uh, it's not just problems with on in on Earth. It's also what's happening within the church. We got some serious, serious, tough days coming ahead of us. And you know, 
you know, everything I just did, I just did. I just did a couple of podcasts by James Lindsay's um, about the psychopathy, people creating their own uh, fantasy worlds and reimagining words, reimagining our, our social construct of society. They're, these are people who, um, it's serious, especially with the uh, social media that we have. It's, it's, it's creating a psychopathic world. A psychopathic world. I don't know if you heard, there was recently a case in New York about a woman who lost her iPhone. And she didn't realize that she left her iPhone in a Uber, an Uber car. The driver was going to come back and deliver her iPhone to the hotel. But while she was in the lobby, panicking, uh, a man and his son, a man and his son walked in. Uh, an African-American gentleman who happened to be a famous jazz musician. She saw the man's son had the iPhone in his hand. And she assumed that it was her iPhone because he was coming from outside. This is, this is what I'm getting from it. And she accused that the boy had her iPhone. She had no evidence of it because, first of all, Anybody could have an iPhone similar to hers. But she was so panicking that she actually physically tried to take the iPhone. Long story short, physically tried to take her iPhone from the boy. Now, because they happen to be African-American, uh, of course, uh, you can't blame them because uh, you know the woman is white and the man and his son are black. So the idea, the, the, the conclusion, the conclusion, I'm trying to be very careful here. The conclusion is it's racism. It's uh, race um, profiling. But, you know, there's a lot of legal arguments there. But the point is, is that you can't blame them for uh for 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 believing that this is a target because they're black and the woman is white but it turns out her phone was returned to her she was so panicking she was so attached to her phone she was so whatever it is she was completely i mean she was wronged to physically try to grab the phone she could have asked for proof if she, she could have asked for proof. Okay. Noise outside. Sorry. She could have asked for proof. She could have asked for at least some politely. It may not have worked. They, they're not, they were not compelled to, to, to comply to, to, for her, to give her the, the request uh, about this. Um, they were not compelled to, but she was so desperate. It shows you the idolatry. What I'm trying to say is the idolatry of her attachment to her phone and her lack of respect of consideration that she, that she could be wrong, that she's accusing people without evidence. I mean, it shows you her materialism and it got, it got very ugly. It got it was all over the news. 
There's an investigation. The mayor of New York wants to accuse her of race. He wants to bring bigger charges against her. The family themselves are very insulted, which is they have a right to be and offended and uh, feel that this was racism. You see how it all gets. You see what our society is into. All right, let's go to the Psalms. All right, um, the responsible psalm is going to be Psalm 105. Uh, and the response is, the Lord remembers his covenant forever. The Lord remembers his covenant forever. Give thanks to the Lord, invoke his name. Make no Give thanks to the Lord, invoke his name. Make known among the nations his deeds. Sing to him, sing his praise, proclaim all his wondrous deeds. The Lord remembers his covenant forever. Glory in his holy name. Rejoice, O hearts. Seek the Lord. Look to the Lord in his, in his strength. Seek to serve him constantly. Lord, remember, the Lord remembers his covenant forever. You descendants of Abraham, his servants, sons of Jacob, his chosen ones, he, the Lord, is our God. Throughout, throughout the earth, his judgments prevail. The Lord remembers his covenant forever. He remembers forever his covenant, which he made binding for a thousand generations, which he entered into with Abraham and by his oath to Isaac. The Lord remembers his covenant forever. And one more time. I'll read it one more time. The Lord remembers his covenant forever. Give thanks to the Lord, invoke his name. Make known among the nations his deeds. Sing to him, sing his praise, proclaim all his wondrous deeds. The Lord remembers his covenant forever. Glory in his holy name. Rejoice, O hearts that seek the Lord. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek to serve him constantly. The Lord remembers his covenant forever. You descendants of Abraham, his servants, sons of Jacob, his chosen ones, he, the Lord, is our God. Throughout the earth, his judgments prevail. The Lord remembers his, co his covenant forever. He remembers forever his covenant, <clears throat> which he made binding for a thousand generations, which he entered into with Abraham and by his oath to Isaac. The Lord remembers his covenant forever. All right. So... One thing about the Psalms is it's beautiful and it always points back to creation, to God's covenant with Abraham, to David, to the Exodus, to the temple. It's, it, you know, it's the prayer book of Israel and it became the prayer book of the church. And it's, it's done through the liturgy of the hours. There's actually, if you want to pray the liturgy of the hours, it's, Lay people like us can pray it because there is the four-volume set which uh, priests and religious and clergy are compelled by uh, canon law to pray. Uh, they have to because they got to keep the word of God in them, with them constantly. And what happens is, is that it also, they can be carried, um, carried away by constantly all the responsibilities that often get in the way like 
church government, financial responsibilities of the parish, and often at times other other things that can get in the way. So they have to constantly always have to remind themselves the word of God. But the beautiful part is we lay people can also pray the liturgy of the hours. There's the shorter version, a much shorter version, which is like a small pocket size. And then there's a one, one volume called Christian Prayer. And then there's also, we can we can also partake in the four volume, which is also great because it, I like the four volume a little bit more than the one volume because even though the Office of Reading um, is, we're not compelled to do it, but we're welcome to do it. And there's a lot of beauty in it because especially it, it basically goes through the seasons. Now, of course, there's a struggle. You want to do that and you want to read the Bible. I personally think if you want to read the Bible, you should just read the Bible. But if you want to participate in the, in the, in the liturgy of the hours, you can do it. But then there's also the rosary. The church doesn't, put a um doesn't doesn't compel us to do any of them but we should be able to read the bible the one thing is the bible and you should be praying the rosary and i would say very more importantly if i was going to tell you that what which is the best thing to do study the catechism study the catechism read the documents of the church read the church fathers you should at least spend some time in your day doing some spiritual reading. And the best thing I would say to do is read the Bible, pray the rosary, and study the catechism, and study uh, the, you know, the, the doctrines and the theology of the church so you can be knowledgeable. Now, I know not everybody has that time, and not everybody, I think, has the... <clears throat> they think maybe they don't have the willpower, but you should be familiar with the Bible and you should at least be familiar with your catechism. That's something I think it's important. And anyway, going into this, um, this, this beautiful Psalm here, it's basically God's name is holy. And if you notice as it goes down the list, it mentions his covenant with Abraham with Jacob, with Isaac, and God's judgment and his will is true. And that's the beautiful thing because you're going to see that a lot in the Psalms, constantly reminding the people of God, God's glory and God's promises, God's relationship with them. And you see that when you read, when you read the Bible, pay attention to the people, pay attention a lot to their God's relationship with them. God had a very, very deep, intimate relationship with Abraham. Going down to Isaac, it, we don't get as much into Isaac's life. And I often wonder, maybe that's why there was so much dysfunctionalness in, his, in Isaac's family. Uh, the battle between Jacob and Esau and Esau and, uh, and his brother Jacob and Esau selling his 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 inheritance his his uh, birthright for a bowl of lentils and then uh the dysfunctional relationship between the mother rebecca and her sons and compelling her younger son jacob 
to pretend to be Esau, you know, Jake, uh, you know, uh, you know, Esau to deceive his, his father, Isaac, who was blind. Um, it said there's, there was, there was a, there was a problem in that family. There was a serious, a serious problem. They lied. And I mean, Jacob went so far as to make an, uh, an oath with God's name that it's him. That's saying that God helped him. And then when he stole the blessing, and I don't even know, I still don't even know how you can steal the blessing when you deceive somebody, but it's, it's weird. I, I'm going to have to figure that part out because it's, it's doesn't, it's not, it's weird. And then, then of course he got deceived later on. You see that his weakness was sex <laughs> and, um, he got drunk and he got deceived by his, um, very deceptive, uh, uncle Laban in uh, Mesopotamia. So you see the people in the Bible were not, were not all together. Like, uh, like, you know, they're real people. They're real people like, like us. We have dysfunctional families. A lot of us are embarrassed by our dysfunctional families, volatile families, families with a lot of problems, addictions, um, abuses, mistreatments, everything. It's all there. And the Bible doesn't hide it. It's, pretty much exposes everybody's dirty laundry. <laughs> so that's, you know, you see that there. All right, let's move on to the gospel. All right, so now we get into the gospel. All right. Uh, the gospel reading is uh, from Mark. Alleluia Antiphon. Alleluia, alleluia. My sheep hear my voice, says the Lord. I know them and they follow me. Alleluia, alleluia. Gospel readings from St. Mark, chapter 1, verse 29 to 39. Jesus cured many who were sick with various diseases. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. On leaving the synagogue, Jesus entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever. They immediately told him about her. He approached, he approached, grasped her hand and helped her up. Then the fever left her and she waited on them. When it was evening, after sunset, they brought to him all who were ill or possessed by demons. The whole town was, was gathered at the door. He cured many who were sick with various diseases. And he drove out many demons, not permitting them to speak because they knew him. Rising very early before dawn, he left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed. Simon and those who were with him pursued him and on finding him said, everyone is looking for you. He told them, let us go on to the nearby village that I may preach there also. For this purpose have I come. So he went into their synagogue, preaching and driving out demons throughout the whole of Galilee. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let me read it one more time. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. On leaving the synagogue, Jesus entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. 
Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever. They immediately told him about her. He approached, grasped her hand, and helped her up. Then the fever left her, and she waited on them. When it was evening after sunset, they brought to him all who were ill or possessed by demons. The whole town was gathered at the door. He cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons, not permitting them to speak because they knew him. Rising very early before dawn, he left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed. Simon and those who were with him pursued him, and on finding him, said, Everyone is looking for you. He told them, Let us go on to the nearby villages, that I may preach there also. For this purpose have I come. So he went into their synagogues, preaching and driving out demons throughout the whole of Galilee. Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, we see here... Um, you see here the relationship. I don't know if you guys have seen the show, The Chosen. They actually show this scene. It was uh, where Jesus goes into the house of Simon Peter. Uh, they, they show Simon Peter married, even though it doesn't mention if his wife was alive at the time or he was a widower. We don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't give us those details. Uh, but he goes in and he, he heals the mother-in-law who has a horrible fever. Uh, you know, it looks like it's, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna kill her. I mean, she's, she was burning with a with a high fever. Now, the interesting thing here is in the gospel, what it tells you is that people start bringing all their sick and their, uh, their their possessed in the evening because it was still the Sabbath. See, Mark is telling us what day it is because it was in the evening. In the at the end of the evening is the end of the, the evening itself is the end of the Sabbath. And he healed many people with many, many different various diseases. And he cast out many demons and, and ordered them to be silent because they knew who he was. Um, and then it said, then it tells you something very, very interesting about, about Jesus's uh, prayer life, his, um, his daily life, his, his prayer life. Rising very early before dawn, he left and went off to a deserted place. He went to a place where he could be alone to pray. Even in his humanity, he still needed time for himself. Though he's God, he's truly God and truly man, Jesus needed to be alone. God himself was showing us the human condition that we need to pray. We need time to talk to him. Now, it says, uh, rising very early before dawn, he left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed. See, Simon and those who were with him pursued him. And on finding him, they were looking for him. They were wondering what happened to him. Where did he disappear? And finding him, everyone is looking for you. The rest of the town was looking for him. But this is this is a habit that they would later on have to recall. And they too would have to imitate him. So we too should be imitating him. 
imitating Jesus' behavior. We should be able giving some time in the morning to pray. How many of us even do that? Right? Yeah, we should go to daily mass if it's if it's possible. But the most important thing, your daily mass life is not going to improve or you're not going to get much out of it. You should be getting, you'll get more out of it if you spend time praying. Now, a lot of Christians think the best time to do your prayer is in the morning, which is probably true because we're never going to get the time throughout the day because our busy schedule is going to, is going to overwhelm us. And I'll trust me, even when I get my break and I go to, I go to my locker room, the locker room where I have to share with a whole bunch of workers, a lot of times it's hard because some people uh, want to talk to you and that's, it's, there's nothing wrong for them to want to talk to you because, you know, you should be able to have a moment. Sorry, I had to stop because of the cars. A moment, you never know where you could be helping somebody. God could be sending somebody your way that you could be helping. It's very hard because <clears throat> a lot of times it could be trivial stuff, but it's good to talk to people. It's good to help people because you never know where you could probably do some good. And we're social people and God wants us to be, to, to share our, our spiritual life with others when the opportunity arises. Not pushing it on people, not throwing it on them, but they might be impressed, you know, by what the Holy Spirit is using you through uh, wisdom to help them. And these things are important. So a daily prayer life, um, grabbing moments of prayer, but also early in the morning if you can to try to make it a, a good habit. I trust me it's not easy. It's easier said than done. I'm not going to kid I'm not going to I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to show off here. I've tried it many times and unfortunately I'm not a morning person. When I get up in the morning it's very hard. And getting up a little earlier to lose sleep is very difficult. The body the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And this is something we need to you know we need to try to it's not easy. It's a it's a practice that has to be developed. So that's important. All right. Let me see if I can pull up pull up an article. All right. I have here an article. It's from the National Catholic Registrar. It's um, by Joseph Prunchen. Uh, Prochen. I'm going to spell his last name. His first name, obviously Joseph. J-O-S-E-F-H, last name, capital P-R-O-N-E-C-H-E-N. It's a blog. It's from January 2nd, 2021, just the beginning of this month. And it's Benedict XVI warned us years ago of dangers ahead. I'm going to put this on my... Um, um, Facebook page. I'm going to put it on there uh, so you can guys can check it out. Okay. It's an actually a very good article. It's something worth checking out. Okay. So hold on. I'm going to send this over. All right. Let's begin the article. Benedict XVI warned us years ago of the dangers ahead. Several times during his pontificate, Pope Benedict XVI sounded the alarm about the direction society was taking and told us what we must do in response. 
Okay. Like the seers and prophets of old, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI several times warned about the direction society was taking and where it was heading and what we should do. In the Old and New Testament, the Lord proclaims judgment on the unfaithful vineyard. Benedict XVI said in his homily to bishops gathered together in October 2005, the threat of judgment also concerns us, the church in Europe, Europe and the West in general. The Lord is also crying out to our ears. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Light can also be taken away from us, and we do well to let this warning ring out with, with its full seriousness in our hearts, while crying to the Lord, help us to repent, give all of us the grace of true renewal. Do not allow your light do not allow your light in your midst to blow out. Strengthen our faith, our hope, and our love so that we can bear good fruit. Benedict references reference to Revelations, Book of the Apocalypse, chapter 2, verse 5, where Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus, serves an even more stark reminder today. It wasn't, only, it wasn't the only time Benedict turned to the book of Revelation. During his 2010 Christmas greeting, he warned, The book of Revelation, eight, chapter 18, verse 13, includes among the great sins of Babylon, the symbol of the world's great ir irreligious cities, the fact that it trades with bodies and souls and treats them as commodities. In this context, the problem of drugs also rears its head and with increasing force extends, extends its octopus tentacles around the entire world, an eloquent expression of the tyranny of mammon, which perverts mankind. No pleasure is ever enough. Benedict warned that this fatal misunderstanding of freedom actually undermines man's freedom and ultimately destroys it. Two years later, speaking to United States bishops on their ad lumine visit, he again cautioned about what he saw happening. He told them, it is imperative that the entire Catholic community in the United States come to realize the grave threat, threats to the church's public moral witness presented by a radical secularism which finds increasing expression in the political and cultural spheres, the seriousness of these threats need to be clearly appreciated at every level of ecclesial life. Of particular concern are certain attempts being made to limit the most cherished of American freedoms, the freedom of religion. Benedict put a spotlight on the power of terroristic ide ideologies. Violent acts are apparently made in the name of God. But this is not God. They are a false divinities that must be unmasked. They are not God. And then the drugs, like a ferocious beast clawing all parts of the world and destroys, destroys it. It is divinity, but also false divinity that must fall. Or even the way of living proclaimed by public opinion. Today we must, not, we must do things like this. 
marriage no longer counts, chastity is no longer a virtue, and so on. These words are even more relevant today as we see limits on religious freedom in different ways. Benedict reminds, reminded that many of the bishops told him of the, of the concordant efforts made to deny the right of conscientious objection on the part of Catholic individuals and institutions with regard to cooperation in intrinsically evil practices or of reducing religious freedom to mere freedom of worship without guarantees of respect for freedom of conscience. Of course, there is the never-ending case of the Little Sisters of the Poor as a prime example of what he was talking about. Hmm. Okay. He reminds that America's founding documents were grounded. He reminds... He reminded that Americans' founding documents were grounded in a worldview shaped not only by faith, but by a commitment to certain a commitment to certain ethical principles deriving from nature and nature's God. All right, let me read it one more time from the beginning because there was noise outside. He reminded that America's founding documents were grounded in a worldview shaped not only by faith but a commitment to certain ethical principles deriving from nature and nature's God. Today, that consensus has eroded significantly in the face of powerful new cultural currents, which are not only directly opposed to core, to core moral teachings of Judeo-Christian tradition, but increasingly hostile to Christianity as such. Don't we see that every day in the news, entertainment, and politics? Early in 2010, Benedict also turned the book of, turned to the book of Revelation concerning this battle in which we find ourselves of this taking power away from God, of this fall of false gods. The fall because they are not deities, but powers that can destroy the world. Chapter 12 of the book of Revelation mentions these even if with a mysterious image for which i believe there are there are many different and beautiful interpretations he focused in on the river of water river of water the dragon spews at the fleeing woman benedict benedict looked on the river at, looks benedict looks looked on the river as the currents that dominate all and wish to make faith in the church disappear the church that seems no longer to have a place in the face of the force of the currents that impose themselves as the only rationality as the only way to live on pentecost 2012 in his homily benedict reminded about babel and its tower a kingdom which men had concentrated on so much power that they that they thought they no longer needed to rely on distant God and the, and that they were powerful enough to be able to, to build a way, a way to heaven by themselves in order to open its gates and usurp God's place. Let me read that one more time. On Pentecost 2012, in his homily, Benedict reminded about the Tower of Babel and it, 
the Babel and its tower, a kingdom in which men had concentrated so much power that they thought they no longer needed to rely on a distant God and that they were powerful enough to be able to build a way to heaven by themselves in order to open its gates and usurp God's place. This biblical account holds a, a perennial truth we see in history in our world. The progress of science and technology have enabled us to dominate the forces of nature, to manipulate the elements, and to reproduce living beings almost to the point of manufacturing the very human human being. In this situation, praying to God seems obsolete or pointless because we ourselves can construct and achieve whatever we like. Yet we do not realize that we are reliving the same experience as Babel. It is true. We have increased the possibility of communication, of obtaining information, of transmitting news, but we say that, that our ability to understand each other has increased. Or, perhaps, paradoxically, to do what we understand each other less and less. Doesn't a sense of mutual mistr um, mistrust and suspicion that, that fear seems to be creeping in among human beings, even to the point of making one individual dangerous to another. Benedict answered his question by affirming that the sacred scripture tells us unity can only exist as a gift of God's Spirit, who will give us a new heart, a new language, a new ability to communicate. And this is what happened at Pentecost. In Critias Veritat, he warned again, a humanism which ex which excludes God is a is an inhuman humanism. Only a human humanism open to the absolute um, guide uh, and guide us in the promotion of building of forms of social and civic life. In 2010, during the Christmas greetings, Benedict echoed the prophets of old saying. Exacta Domini Potentum, Tium Adveni, Stir up, O Lord, your power and come. Repeatedly during the season of Advent at the church's liturgy, liturgy prayer, in uh, in these or similar words, they are invocations that we that were pro properly formulated at the as the Roman Empire was in decline. The disintegration of the key principles of law and the, and the fundamental moral attitudes underpinning them burst open the dams which until that time had pr uh, protected peaceful coexistence among peoples. The sun was setting over an entire world. Frequent natural disasters further increased this sense of insecurity. There was no power in sight that could put a stop to this decline. All the more in insistent then was the invocation of the power of God and the plea that he might come and protect his people from all these threats. We see similar threats as many areas of society are showing obvious signs of similar deterioration, Benedict said. Exacta domini potentum tuum et vini. Today, Two, we have many reasons to associate ourselves with this Advent prayer of the church. For all, 
for all its new hopes and possibilities, our world is at the same time troubled by the sense of the moral consensus is collapsing. The consensus which, uh, with uh, without which, uh, judicial and judicial and political structure structures cannot function. Consequently, the forces mobilized for the defense of such structures seems to seems doomed to failure. Okay. Though this perspective might seem to make Dickens' Bleak House look look a little look like Little House on the Prairie, ben Benedict did not leave us without hope and without a way forward and out. For instance, he said in the light of the world, the church is always called upon to do what God asked of Abraham, which is to see to it that there are enough righteous men to repress evil and destruction, hope and action. Okay, I'm going to stop here for a minute. All right, hope and action. All right, so um, when Benedict talked about Revelation 12 and the water spewed at the woman and her child, he emphasized something other than the possible harm. The woman is not harmed because the earth that absorbs these currents is the faith of the simple people that does not allow itself to be overcome by these rivers and that saves the mother and saves the son. This is why the psalm says, uh, the psalm says, the first psalm of the hour, the faith of the simple, simple at heart is true to wisdom. This is Psalm 119 verse uh, 100, uh, verse 130 this is this is true wisdom of the simple faith that does not allow itself to be swamped by the waters is the force of the uh, the force of the church and we have returned to the Marian mystery like the early prophets he did not leave people in the dark but spoke plainly Benedict added that Psalm 82 has a final word on a source of the problem and the solution, even after verse 5, laments that the foundation of the earth are shaken. We see, we see this today with the climatic problems, how the foundation of the earth are shaken, how they are threatened by our behavior. The external foundations are shaken because of the internal foundations. Um, okay. The external foundations are shaken because the internal foundations are shaken. The moral and religious foundations, the faith that follows the right way of living, and we know that faith is the foundation. Undoubtedly, the foundations of the earth cannot be shaken if they remain close to the faith, true to wisdom. But Benedict the seer does not leave us there without giving us other strong, uh, strong stirrings. He made it clear to a general audience in spring of 2005 when he assured history, in fact, is not in the hands of the powers of darkness, the chance or human decision alone. When evil energy that we see is unleashed, when Satan vehemently bursts in, when a multitude of scourges and ills surface, the Lord, the supreme arbiter of historical events, 
arises, he leads history wisely towards the dawn of the new heavens and new earth, of which in the image of the new Jerusalem, the last part of the book of Revelation sings. And in the 2010 speech, he directed us to hope and to uh, to a solution as he quoted Psalm 82, verse 8. Rise up, O God, judge, uh, judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. Then he ended this plea. Thus we say to the Lord, Arise at this moment, take the world in your hands, protect your church, protect humanity, protect the earth. And we once again entrust ourselves to the mother of God, Mary, and pray, you, the great believer, who have hoped the uh, uh, the great you, the great believer, you who have opened the earth to the heavens, help us open the doors today as well. The truth that, that the truth may win. The will of God, which is the true good, the true salvation of the world. Amen. John Pronchin, Pronchin, I'm sorry, Joseph Pronchin, Joseph Pronchin, uh, is staff writer with the National Catholic Register since 2005. All right, so he, um, this is interesting. So he saw the problems. Um, unfortunately, he resigned, which is very troublesome. And he sees these things are going on. And um, he basically says that it's simple people. Simple people that will, um, could it be, in a sense, that what we've been talking about, national populism? Like the movement to want to, ha- to, to, re- to resist globalism? To, to resist the globalist movement, the fact that people do not want this new globalist mentality, that maybe this is the earth, and that people want, because you see people turning back to tradition. You see people going to traditional Latin mass. You see people um, wanting to, uh, wanting, not rejecting uh the 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 so-called uh political correctness uh the psychopathy of of creating a new reality reinventing marriage i just did a i just did an episode where a whole bunch of people were like you know they were talking about in england how the divorce rate among lesbians uh because they the 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 so-called marriage is not a model made for for homosexuals it was designed for heterosexual couples you know, one gets pregnant, one is the homemaker, the other one is the breadwinner. Is that really, really what they want? And does that really fit into their to their to their concept of homosexuality to lesbianism? I mean, the whole purpose of lesbianism is to be a, is is to be homosexuals, to be lesbians. It's not about um, imitating. Why are they imitating heterosexuals? In a sense, you see, they always come back to a reality. And the problem is, is that the so-called elitists, and this is the thing, elitists do not do, reject moral traditional values. Okay. You know, you look at a, at a museum, especially today's museums. They want to be everything to everybody. And they want uh, that you go to a 
a place where they have everything from the foundations of the world, uh, prehistoric maybe, uh, Egyptian, uh, they have Greek and Roman, they go into the uh, medieval, they go into the Renaissance period, they go into, and they and, and the beauty of these cultures is that they all had to have some kind of value, something that in a sense made their culture unique. And, and, you know, you go into the like early Christian period, early Roman period, early Roman Christianity, later like Renaissance and everything. And the problem is they always approach things from the aesthetic. The aesthetic, meaning what makes the painting beautiful. But the religious part of it, they ignore. The theology, they ignore. The scripture passage that is talking about, they ignore. The typology of what it's trying to say, it ignores. Why? What is the story? What is it trying to say? They may touch upon it, glean over it, but they're clo- they're quickly dismiss it. They quickly move on to something else because they don't want to talk about the theology. What? Why did the artist go to all the trouble to make it? What was the? What, who was the artist? What did? What was the artist trying to say to us? They might twist it around. They might use it. They'll, they'll always interpret it from a secular perspective. But you never really touch upon the faith of the artist because that is, the artist obviously had faith. The people of that time had faith and they always want to avoid it. They may try to distort it. They'll distort it with their critical, critical historical theory, you know, find criticism in it, the criticism to basically point out, maybe they'll even use some kind of uh, misogynistic interpretation to try to uh, fulfill their uh, their doctrine. But you'll never really ever touch upon it because it may it may awaken something in somebody. Someone may go even further to want to do a little bit more research on it and it may wind up changing a person's life. But a statue, a religious statue, a scene of the Annunciation, uh, a scene of um, Mary giving birth to Beth in Bethlehem, a scene of uh, Joseph being visited by the angel at nighttime, the slaughter of the holy innocents, all kinds of things. But they'll avoid, they'll talk about the aesthetic, the composition, the color, the lighting, uh, the paintbrush, uh, the, the style of the artist and stuff like that. They will, they'll never go into the theology of it. They have to avoid that because that's, you know, that's the thing. They want to avoid it. And when they've done that for such a long time, then what's the purpose of having the painting? What's the purpose of it if you're going to only talk about the aesthetic of it and not talk about what the painting is saying, what the artist is saying, why he chose that story, why that biblical passage, what was important about this biblical passage? Why did he paint the Blessed Mother the way he did? You know, things like that. Why is this story seems to be constantly appearing over and over again in Renaissance period? That's the question. And the question is, why are we afraid to go into it? 
Why are we afraid to go into the scriptural passage? A couple of years ago in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, they had a Catholic fashion thing. And it was, it was basically a distortion. It was basically a mockery of, 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 of Catholicism, people sexualizing it, people going into the whole uh, materialism. It's a secular materialistic understanding of Catholicism. But it's it you know it basically did did uh, did not do the faith any justice. Their understanding of it, they're never going to go into it. They'll never really go into it. They'll never they'll never really they'll they'll always have to approach it from a from a from a secular, materialistic approach. And unfortunately, um, Cardinal uh, Dolan and uh, James Martin. They they participated in it. They participated in it, and they did the faith and injustice. It's the the secular world always has to distort and invert everything. You know, it always going to have to distort and invert it, and that's 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 basically it. That's just just the way they approach it, but. Notice how Benedict XVI goes into the passages that's how he he uses scripture. I'm gonna post this article on um my Facebook page, uh The Informed Catholic. You can read it yourself, uh look up the scriptural passages, and um you know, you could uh, just meditate on it because I think it's worth it's worth listening to his warnings. So let's end it with a prayer, and uh, we'll meet again soon. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God bless, and we'll be back together again soon. Amen.